The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Earlier this year, there were tons of stories about businesses handing out big bonuses to retain talent, massive pay rises for people willing to switch firms and people leaving work altogether. In fact, that last bit even got its own nickname, the Great Resignation. But with all the economic headwinds the country is facing, surging cost of living, rising inflation, a top British CEO recently told me he felt that the Great Resignation was now going to actually turn into the Great Sacking. We've been hearing earnings from the banks, some reporting lower profits than they have done for many years. Goldman Sachs saying that they were going to slow their hiring spree. They're also reintroducing their annual performance reviews where they cull the underperformers. And that all got us thinking, I mean, are the employees about to actually lose their advantage? I'm David Merritt in the London studio, and this is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the stories at the heart of the city of London. And so to give a broader sense of the jobs market across the UK, I spoke to James Reid, the CEO and chairman of Reid UK. That's Britain's largest jobs recruitment company. First, I'm joined here by Bloomberg's Tom Metcalf, who heads up all of our City of London coverage to zoom into what's happening on the ground with the jobs market in the city of London. Tom, thank you so much for talking to In The City. We're exploring what the health is of the job market in the City of London. You track finance in the UK capital. How's it looking? Well, it's been interesting because sort of since the pandemic, you know, things are going gangbuster. There's job, more and more jobs are available. We're getting figures from various people that it's the best time ever you could possibly choose to move. What's particularly interesting for me right now is just sort of the situation is starting to maybe muddy slightly. You've got some areas which still seem to be doing very well and others which are starting to struggle. And I think that's what's going to be really telling over the coming months, you know, as the economic outlook starts to clarify a bit, I think we might have a bit less of a positive sense from the, the job market. So which are those areas which are starting to look shaky? Where are people starting to worry for their job security? Yeah, for me, the, the big one is investment banking. So that is the sort of part of the city that might be advising on, you know, IPOs, on M&A, sort of the traditional kind of suited bankers, you know, going out glad handing clients. And that, at least in terms of when we see listings, that is way down. So the deals are dried up, right? I mean, exactly. all that. So these guys are sitting on their hands over the summer? Well, yeah, basically. And, and obviously, you've had a big sort of hiring boost previously. It was a very busy year last year. And now they're suddenly finding, hey, maybe we have too many people. So what we're hearing from people in the space is certainly there's very few jobs out there going forward. And when people do leave, perhaps they're not looking to sort of actively replace them just because if you're if you're an ECM banker in London, there's, there's very little to be done right now. And, and the pipeline for the IPO market is not looking great either, is it? For the rest of the year? I mean, there's the arm deal, which is obviously in doubt whether or not they'll come to London. I know there's lots of lobbying on that, and that would be a mega a blockbuster deal, but there's not much else. Is there anything else coming? In the, in the rest no, of the nothing, nothing significant. So, you know, big change from last year. And that's the thing. It's a very sort of eat what you kill type industry, right? And if, if the deals aren't coming, 
then there's, as you say, bankers probably sitting on their hands or lots of pitching. But right now, and this is true of a lot of listed markets, there's just, just not much activity. And what about M&A? Uh, similarly, I think that's a bit more sort of defensive in that, you know, that will continue to sustain itself no matter, you know, what the economic outlook is. And some, some people say, hey, look, in tough times, it's a great time to do M&A. But again, in terms of those big standout deals, there's very few right now, and that's just because of so much uncertainty, right? There's a lot of wait and see in that market. So not as drastic as the listings, but again, I wouldn't say the sort of job market in, in M&A banking is, is sort of going to be flying in the next few months. Okay, so you don't want to be in ECM, you don't want to be in M&A. What are the areas which are still doing well, where people are still getting these pay rises to switch firms and where the job market really looks booming still? Well, I think trading doing very well. It's kind of feeding off that market volatility. And, you know, the interesting thing about trading is whether it's quiet or busy, you kind of need the same number of people. So if someone does leave a position, they tend to get replaced fairly, fairly quickly. So that's a positive place. And then, of course, stuff like compliance. And of course, we've been hearing from CEOs a lot about this. Anyone with sort of tech capabilities. So if you, you know, you know your finance, but you're also able to code, those jobs are still like gold dust. And, and that's a fantastic place to be as a uh, employee. We're seeing people in those parts of the industry switch roles for big pay rises and people's salaries getting bid up. There's been headlines around some of the big bonuses that are coming or the, the big total compensation packages people are getting in the city. Is that, is that still happening over the summer? Uh, certainly in the right areas. And I mean, I'm looking at um, a stat here from Morgan McKinley, a, a recruiter, and they're saying like the average salary change in the second quarter was basically 25%. Wow. So that's kind of spread across not just the super hot areas as well. It gives you a sense of if you're really sought after how, how well you can do at this point. So, you know, there are some you know eye-popping things. And, and when people move, you know, we hear tales of sort of guaranteed compensation and stuff like that. But again, it's in those certain areas. And I think the broader picture is a much more uh, sort of mixed one. And, and you know, I I would say also the heat is starting to come out of the market a bit. What about the economic headwinds that we're facing? You mentioned them a bit earlier. A lot of uncertainty as we head into the end of the year. All around the world, obviously, fears of recession in many markets, including here. We know all about the high inflation problem that needs to happen. And we don't know what sort of government we're going to have here after September the 5th when the new prime minister is announced. What impact does that have on the ability for city firms to hire, to plan for the rest of the year? Yeah, it's, it was interesting because Mansion House was, was uh, this month and basically we were hearing, you know, the government put forward yet another plan about how it's going to take advantage of this Brexit dividend. You know, again, it's sort of... Same well, what is the Brexit of, dividend? Well, that's the thing. It's all very rhetorical at the moment, right? And I, I think when you talk to people in the city... They have sort of effectively given up on any kind of obvious reward from that. And they're just sort of planning on it kind of being stuck in this sort of limbo, really, in terms of, you know, we're not in the EU, but we're not massively pivoting away from pre-existing regulation or anything like that. And, and you know, I think that's sort of the challenge is, is that lack of clarity means, you know, these really big decisions are probably just being kicked down the path a bit. Um, and instead, you sort of, you know, manage what's in front of you. Yeah, because who's going to be the chancellor? Who's going to be the chief secretary to the treasury? Who's going to be in charge of the city regulation? What does that regulation framework even look like? No one knows, do they, at this point? No, and, and that's going to be the very interesting thing about September. So the current chancellor sort of pushed this decision on something called calling power down the road. But um, then it became very clear that whoever does take over the conservative leadership and the prime ministership, then they'll have to make that call in terms of do we start to see more government intervention in regulatory matters. Thank you, Tom Metcalf, as always. So now let's zoom out and look at the picture across the whole of Britain. And I'm joined in the studio 
by James Reed. He's the Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of Reed UK, and they are the largest jobs recruitment company in Britain. James, thank you so much for joining us on In the City. I just wanted to start with this question about where we're at now at this moment in time. Back in the spring, the story was that the job market was red hot here in the city of London. We were writing that city firms are desperate to hire this really tight job market. It feels that something's changed. We had Goldman Sachs coming out just recently saying they're going to slow hiring now. Is that what you're seeing? Well, we're still seeing very large numbers of vacancies. But I'd say the rate at which those vacancies have been increasing has really slowed down. So a year ago, a jobs boom began in Britain and and particularly in the city. The level of demand is still very high and there are fewer people available to do these jobs than there are vacancies. So it's a very tight labour market. I would say it hasn't hasn't overheated completely, which was looking perilously possible earlier in the year. So it has, has cooled a bit, but it's still very tight. So does that mean we're still seeing cases of these inflated salaries? People are having to bid up the amount of money to poach people from different firms. I, is, it, is it still that hot? Well, the data that was published from the ONS is very interesting because it, it showed that pay was not keeping pace with inflation. So overall, pay in the private sector was up about 7%. And inflation is obviously now above 9% and, and rising. So uh, inflation is galloping ahead of pay. Mm. But interestingly, in finance and insurance roles, pay the median increase in pay was reported as above 10%. So those areas are doing well, especially when you compare them with, say, arts and entertainment, where the median increase was 1.4%. So there are still, there's still a lot of movement on pay, particularly where skills are in tight demand. And in the past, you know, on read.co.uk, when we saw companies advertising for roles, they would typically advertise a premium of, say, 10% above yeah. the market rate to get people to move. Now we're seeing 25 30% above wow. the market rate to get people to move if those people have particular skills. And that's partic- so finance out in front, do you think, there? So 25 30% increases because there's such a shortage still for, for finance? Well, yeah, for, for particular skills, that's exactly what's happening. And, and we're seeing it in, in a number of sectors, but finance and technology yeah. in particular. And, you know, skills like digital marketing are in such demand. You know, we're seeing f- up to 50%. Uh, increases for people moving. But that's what's interesting about this market because the cost of living is going up on a daily basis now and, and, and it's accelerating. More people are looking around thinking, well, where can I go to earn more money? And so we're going to see a lot of people on the move, I think, later this year. But in those top end jobs, got, you know, the cost of living, as we all know, impacts people at the lower end of the pay scale, doesn't it? Much more you know, when it's about food inflation or transport doesn't really touch the size, does it, for a city trader? And yet they're still using that as an argument. Are they to say, I need to shift jobs and get a 50% well, pay I was, I suppose I was referring to the whole market. But if, if you see a, a, a job very similar to your own and it's paying 50% more, it's going to get your attention, isn't it? And and that's why employers are doing this, because a lot of people are sitting quite comfortably in their, in their current jobs. They might have got a deal where they can work more flexibly than they were before. They're well set up at home and in the office. They probably enjoy their job and, and they enjoy the people they work with. So to get someone like that to move, employers are having to pay a premium to get their attention. And the two things that we, we're told from applicants that they particularly look for is more money. And if it's significant, they're very much more likely to move and more flexibility. Right. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the flexibility question, because we all thought um, companies are going to have to reinvent their approach to this. We've been on a bit of a journey at Bloomberg on this as well, about how often we expect people to be in the office. But actually, some of the banks have been pretty clear that they expect people back at their desks. Are they having to soften their tone in order to get people to make those switches? 
Well, it depends who they are. I, I think employers that I would describe as destination employers, where people really want to work and where they get so the very, top good, tier yeah, very good packages, they can call the shots yeah. still. But there are a lot of other people who, who aren't in that position. And yeah, we have a lot of applicants who are declining opportunities because they're not offered with flexible working as a possibility. Yeah, is technology one of those places? Yeah, well? I mean, we've got some great clients in the technology space who say we want people in attendance every day and really good applicants are saying that doesn't work for me anymore. Right. And, and they're, 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 they're looking for other opportunities and turning it down. And, and that is quite surprising. It's very different to two, three years ago. Just looking forward then to the rest of the year, we've had this hot jobs market. You're saying it's still there. There's still a shortage. We're hearing from some of the banks. They're starting to forecast a slowdown as the year goes on. And if they're having to bid up salaries 25 30% for some of these top jobs, that's not sustainable, is it? So towards the end of the year, are we going to see firms having to cut back? The question is, what's going to give? Um, it depends on the financial circumstances of the bank. You know, are they prepared to forego profit in the short run to keep the team together and have a very strong team for when things resume in, in a more buoyant way? Or are they keener to sort of cut back costs at the same time? So it might be that they allocate a certain amount of money for bonuses and increases. That's it. If some people are going to get more than others, then other people will have to leave. Yeah. So it, it, it could be a sort of reckoning for, for a number of firms. The reckoning. I mean, I actually heard a pretty shocking phrase from his a chief executive told me yesterday that the great resignation that we had earlier this year with people switch jobs is going to turn into the great sacking towards the end of the year. Do you think that's overplaying it? Well, that's pretty bleak. And interestingly, our data, which has been a very reliable indicator of recessions for over a quarter of a century, because we have a lot of jobs advertised on our website, our data is not currently showing a recession in prospect. And it's been very reliably doing so every time until now. Uh, and so either there's not a recession coming, this is something else, or if it is a recession, it, it's not going to be a recession where lots of jobs are lost, according to our data, because we're just seeing such big volumes of jobs, so many people are hiring. And the big and most harmful consequence of many recessions is so many people losing work and demand plummeting, so that there's less demand in the economy and it becomes a sort of downward spiral. I can't see that happening from our data. That's fascinating. Can you tell us a bit more about that data? Is that sort of weekly? You're getting the you're, you're looking at a snapshot of open roles and the kind of we have yeah we have over a quarter of a million jobs advertised on read.co.uk at any one time, and we see on a daily basis how many jobs are coming in and how many jobs are being filled and how many people are applying, and we've seen since a year and a half ago rapidly increasing numbers of jobs and it's now sustained at a very high level. So there are still many jobs. We saw a downturn you know, long before the pandemic in, in June 2019. We could see that the market was going off before COVID made it even worse. We can't see that now. Now, it might be that it's a different type of recession. But from my experience, it doesn't look like a recession. It's something else. That is fascinating. I'd love to. I think we should be starting to track the read index here, like as the kind of recession <laughs> indicator, right? I don't... Well, it's been pretty reliable so yeah. far. I mean, I look at it with BDIs because our business is a very cyclical business. Recruitment companies are very cyclical. It's a leading edge because the first thing someone does when they're thinking of hiring is advertise the role. You know, the government data comes up when they've been hired or when they start paying taxes. So it's always a bit later. So no recession, according to your data. And again, that's a bit of an outlier call increasingly now, isn't it? You know, we track the kind of the amount of time that word is used, and it's definitely going up. But casting our minds forward into the autumn again, we've got a kind of big divergent path here, haven't we? We've got two competing visions for the economy in the Tory leadership contest. As we record this, Liz Truss has a pretty sizable lead over Rishi Sunak. She's talking about a very radical new direction, isn't she, for the economy? Is that something that you think would be a positive as we try to skirt this recession? 
I've been looking at this. I mean, is it a radical new direction or is it just a return to where we were a couple of years ago? Because, you know, these decisions to increase taxes and put up corporation tax have all been relatively recent. And, and there's a lot of debate around whether that timing was good or correct. And, and it, as a policy direction, it seems to be a bit of an outlier compared to other world leading economies, you know, to be increasing taxes at a time when the cost of living is also going up so fast. So I think as a business person, I'm not a I'm not a party member. I don't have a vote in this election. But as a business person, I won't be unhappy to see corporation tax come back to where it was, or even better, if that's the plan. I don't know because tax of that sort of cost to our business. Yeah, and, and you know, it's money that we might reinvest in our business if we still had it. Trustonomics, I think we're calling it. What it what it might mean, I, I guess we'll learn a bit more in the coming weeks. But tax is clearly a big central plank of that, isn't it? Both on the corporation front and on the personal level as well as a way to support the economy and, and, and get things growing again. And, and companies are going to respond to that, do you think? Yeah, well, one interesting observation I would make is, you know, we've heard about the great resignation or it became known as the big lie down in China. Lots of people leaving the workforce because the pandemic led them to have reflections and thoughts about how they wanted to live their lives and it didn't involve doing so much work. Tax, an increasing tax on working, obviously fuels that <laughs> because, you know, if you're getting paid less ultimately when you go home because your national insurance has gone up or relatively speaking, your income tax has gone up, that's a disincentive to going to work. So I think there is a, a legitimate argument for saying a, a lower tax uh, economy will encourage more people to go to work, more companies to invest and help the economy grow. But but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I understand that, you know, public finances aren't yeah. where they should be. Right. That's the Rishi Sunak yeah. angle on this, isn't it? You know, that a true conservative approach is balancing the, the books. But can I just talk a bit more about the city as well? Because the government have published their recommendations for ripping up some of the EU legacy ways of running the city of London in particular. Are you optimistic going forward that that's going to manage to bolster the city as Europe's financial capital. I don't want to mention the B word necessarily Brexit, but I, I guess I had to touch on that. Like the, the effects well, of that are still being felt, aren't they? Well, you just did. And, 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 <laughs> Sorry. and I suppose you know, if, if, if Brexit is, is to be a success in the long run, it, it, the, the opportunity it offers to do things a bit differently need to be seized. I mean, what, what, where can we improve regulation? Where can we change the way businesses are run and managed to, to make our country and our economy more successful? I mean, I look at particular the sort of labour market, and um, you know there needs to be there needs to be a workforce strategy to help deal with these big problems. Um, you know, every business we're talking to at the moment seems to be struggling to hire people, and, and that could be a, a uniquely UK initiative. It doesn't you know you, they, they might be able to do things now that they weren't able to do before because of the the, the the parameters and the rules so you know I think there should be a real investment in vocational education real investment in apprenticeships and there's been a lot of talk about lifelong learning accounts well that should be delivered so you know they, they say as a consequence of brexit you know it's policy we want to give opportunities to people in the UK for, to British workers great that's great. But you need to prioritise education if you're going to make that happen. And if you're going to create high growth, low tax, high wage economy, you need to really have a strategy to deliver it. I mean, just just cutting the taxes on its own won't be sufficient. Obviously, the big flood of jobs leaving the city after Brexit didn't happen, right? There has been a drip, 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 hasn't there, 
of jobs going to Paris, going to Frankfurt. There's not been a flood. But some people say that that's going to just continue. And there's a kind of long, slow bleeding of the city of London in terms of roles because of the way that Brussels is putting up barriers for transactions between London and the rest of the continent. Do you see that in, in, in your work? Uh, bluntly, no. no. Uh, London feels incredibly busy and dynamic to me, just looking at it as a whole uh, and compared to other cities across the continent. So I, I think um, I'm speaking as a biased person because I am a Londoner, but I think London's got a great future, but it is the duty of our political leaders and regulators to ensure that the regulations are well thought through. And, you know, there's been a lot of distractions, hasn't there, recently uh, in, in terms of the pandemic and what's going on in politics. I'm hoping that you know, we can put that behind us and really focus on making the city of London and the wider UK economy really successful. And do you think the government are, do are doing enough to keep those jobs here? I mean, things like the banker bonus cap, um, a legacy of the financial crisis, is that one thing that whoever the new chancellor and prime minister in the autumn should, should tackle? Well, I don't think it's going to get many votes outside. No, not, not a massive vote winner, is it? <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but I, I think light touch regulation, you know, what people have paid is, is, is I think, it should be contractual between them and, and their employer. Uh, and not, not, not something the government I don't see that. Yeah, I think this idea that government needs to get involved in every aspect of commercial life is, is probably not right. And, and I think if there has been a drip, drip, drip over the last 20 or 30 years, it's been a sort of accumulation of things that businesses are expected to do beyond business that, that um, has increased costs. Yeah. And, and, you know, how much of that do we really care about and how much of it could we look at in the cold light of day and say, let's scrap that and do something else? I'm, I'm loving your optimism about the city of London and, and about the British economy overall. They, you're very bullish by the sounds of things on everything. But what is worrying you at the moment? There, there are so many headwinds, aren't there, coming, coming well, our way? One thing that's worrying me, I suppose, is I'm fully invested in Britain. I mean, I, I run a UK company. 95% of our business is in the UK. So, yeah, I, I, I do want Britain to succeed. I mean, there are a number of things that, that are concerning, aren't there? I mean, the inflation is not under control. And every time the number is, is published, it's higher than the one before. And that's not just here. I, mean, I've, I do business in Turkey, for instance, and you know, they've got huge inflation now. So you know, that's, a, that's a problem you know, around the world. Do you see that abating here later in the year? Or it's a bit unpredictable? It's very unpredictable. Yeah. And, and um, you know, no one saw it coming. To, well, those that, that perhaps should have seen it coming in terms of economists and bankers, central banks, in the way that it has. So that's that's an ongoing problem. But, the, but also, sorry, fixing it is often yeah, difficult. But the, 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 the jobs market is key to getting it under control, isn't it? Because if, if the wages are being bid up, as you say, it, inflation becomes completely entrenched, doesn't it? Well, I, I want to stick out for workers here a bit because pay settlements have not been the cause of inflation. And pay settlements are behind inflation. You know, overall private sector pay increases 7%. Inflation is now north of 9 I think... It's a tough ask to ask people who are already relatively low paid. You know, many people in particularly sort of service jobs, public service jobs, the people that were described as key workers during the pandemic and were being applauded for their efforts are now on getting one, two, three percent increases. While the bankers are getting... Yeah. And, and is that fair? No, it's not. And I think, you know, we should reflect on that. Maybe this inflation is being caused by a, a woeful energy strategy across the continent of Europe. Maybe it's being caused by lack of resolve in the Ukraine. I don't know. But there are lots of other places that this is coming from that, that are not on our doorstep. I think each to their own in a way. If, if 
you've got to do the best you can, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> if, you're in, if you're a working person, you want to try. So if you can't get a pay rise where you are, a lot of people are now looking to go somewhere else. Can I ask about the top tier here, executive pay? You know, in a climate where there is a cost of living crisis, as you, you say, public sector pay is lagging inflation. It's not a great look, is it, to be awarding the C-suite big pay increases. But when the labour market is tight, when talent is tight, are the top companies having to offer increasingly massive packages to get the top people? That's an interesting dilemma. I mean, it's a definite trade-off. You are seeing situations where people are being paid more to move. And, you know, the best talent in management is very valuable because, you know, really good leaders can make a huge difference to the performance of organizations. So you can see why boards would pay a premium for that. But I, I suppose I would urge those leaders to, to reflect a bit on their own sort of position and how much money do you actually need? And, and do you really want to be earning so much more than your neighbors and the people who work in your organization? Can you really look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm happy with that? If you can, then fair enough. But if not, have a think about it because, you know, I'm a well-paid person, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't move for double my salary. I feel I'm really engaged in the job I'm doing. I like what I do. And I feel fairly remunerated. So if you feel fairly remunerated, what's the problem? Thank you so much, James Reid, uh, for joining us on in, in the City. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We will be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, David Merritt, and produced by Summer Sadi and Alina Ganatra. Special thanks to Tom Metcalf and James Reed.